Hello and welcome to 15-Minute Medicine, where we try to make medicine as simple as possible, but not simpler than that. I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Efoso Ohanba and Farai Chigumadzi. Gentlemen, how are we this evening? Yeah, can't complain. Just trying to survive, you know, pediatrics and COVID-19. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. No complaints. Living my best possible life in these COVID times. Fry, how are you? I'm good, thanks for asking, Nick. It seems like Kifos is not really interested in how I'm feeling, but that's fine. I guess times are strange under the times of Corona. I but... to, you know. <laughs> how are you, Farais? Are you good? I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for asking, Kifos. It's always nice to know that you also you care about how I'm feeling. I think we say this every time. We have an interesting episode lined up, something that I think everyone can relate to. We are going to be speaking about toxicity in the workplace. This week, we'll be speaking about toxic colleagues. And next week, we'll be talking about our relationship with toxic seniors. Just to make sure everyone gets it, this toxic that we're referring to is not toxic, such as with Britney Spears, but rather in a way that makes you not want to come to work makes your life miserable so yeah i'm sure everyone has something to say on the topic and we're going to get right into it so for you guys what is a toxic colleague so i think a toxic colleague is anyone who is disruptive in the way that things are going the way things are supposed to be working and just someone who isn't a team player so i think it's a whole lot of different aspects and attributes but I think the baseline is that it's someone who slows down effective progress. For me, a toxic colleague is just any individual who essentially makes work feel like there's more work. Like basically it's a dread to come to work when they're around or working with them makes your work more difficult or more painful, you know, so to say, for whatever reason, whether it be their personality or they don't do their work or they just have to like make themselves look good but then make you look bad or they have to like protect themselves and make sure they get enough rest or they don't do so much work and you bear the brunt so to say it manifests itself in different forms i think that it's very true exactly what both of you have said and the last line that you said specifically for so that it can manifest in many different ways and the, the main thing that we need to remember or notice about a toxic colleague is that their behavior makes other people feel negative in whatever way because of what they are doing or not doing. So you've mentioned, it's not good things, but a lot of the key things that toxic people bring to the workplace and that like always looking out for themselves, making more work for other people, always trying to shine in place of use it's not just trying to shine for themselves but it's kind of like shining at the expense of you trying to make themselves look good it's definitely never a nice thing to do another thing as well the only thing that you guys didn't mention is toxic people who also bring a negativity just in terms of their like the general mood to the workplace so that might be like just gossiping about other people or just moping around the whole day saying how miserable everything is. So yeah, toxic people, specifically colleagues, are not a nice thing to have. And like we mentioned before, there's probably a lot of examples that we can come up with. Where do you guys think that this toxicity stems from? 
does someone just like wake up and decide to be toxic or like what do you think it is for me i think it's it depends some people have had like lived experiences that have made them to be a certain way maybe as a defense mechanism or to protect themselves but in in the end it actually ends there ends up with them hurting others and them trying to maybe avoid hurting themselves or maybe there's just some element of personality disorder traits that someone may have and that sometimes shows itself i think that's yeah. way too common for medicine these personality disorders that are undiagnosed unfortunately nick yeah so it's a tough one i might be jumping the gun a little bit but sort of through our prepping for the specific episode a lot of the a lot of the the content is based on like a business work environment which is obviously not the environment that we are working in we're not working in a business environment we're working in a hospital environment mm. where it comes to dealing with people so it i find it so strange that the sort of highlights or the or the not highlights the red flags of toxic individuals and the way to go about dealing with these toxic individuals is still something that we in the health sciences deal with you know especially if we're talking about mm. um specifically in this podcast about our colleagues and when we say colleagues we're speaking specifically about fellow interns you know people who are on our level if i can call it that so i think it's yeah. it's it's hard to pinpoint and say it's a personality thing i mean at the beginning you may even begin to think that it's a you know a sort of a classist thing depending on which university you've gone to you know that notion of the one university is better than the other and therefore you know i have a higher social standing um within the workplace but i mean it's not even that it's just it doesn't really matter which university you've come from there's just some individuals who don't contribute to the internship team which is in my opinion quite a difficult thing to do like it's difficult to be toxic in internship environment because a lot of the work is individual you know so you're talking about a real bad apple if it's someone who's sitting off the entire balance of an internship group where the bulk of your day-to-day work is individual like my work needs to get done for my firm obviously we'll look into the different branches when you know you need help in this work but i mean fundamentally it's an individual of my work that i my portion of work that i need to get done or my call that i need to get done so i mean it takes a special kind of someone to rub you up the wrong way and upset the balance i like the direction that you've gone in and it's going to lead me into the next part so you said you're looking specifically as us and as interns but i'd like to look at at our specific situation in a more a broad context because right now we are the we're not so much at the beginning of our journey as medical professionals we're not at the end we're not even in the middle but definitely not at the beginning but toxic colleagues it can be something that starts as students as students your colleagues as well and now we're in the next part where we're interns comms serves broadly classed as junior doctors eventually move on to becoming MOs and then consultants at all these points in time there are people that are below us and above us so to speak so when we are interns we have the students below us when we are MOs or consultants registrars we have the interns and the students below us but you still have the people that are on the same level playing field as you so like i said as a student your fellow students or colleagues as interns you have your fellow interns as colleagues when you at the consultant level your fellow consultants are your colleagues as much as we want to believe that hierarchy is not a thing 
there is definitely a place for it. But just for the context of this of this topic today, and I think Nick, this is where you're trying to take us, is are we all equal in this regard when we're all students, when we're all interns, when we're all consultants? Because I think that this the toxic relationship between colleagues, it's so sometimes I think people don't notice what their behaviors are doing to other people. But there is also the other end of the the scale where people also feel that they are higher than the people that they are working with if if i'm making any sense so how yeah how do how do you think that starts and do you think it's something that starts at a student level and then just carries on until well throughout your training or is it something that once you've reached the pinnacle of becoming a consultant that you actually like no i'm actually like Sorry to swear, but I'm hot shit and people need to respect what I have to say. So, I mean, that's what I was kind of saying is that it's it's tough to say when it started, you know, or how it started. Because, I mean, I think you've always got those guys. If I can put it in inverted commas, you've always got those guys in every aspect of life. So, you know, you've got that one guy in your intern, in your student group who, you know, doesn't pitch to the tats, doesn't make an effort for group projects but somehow passes the degree with flying colors in the same way mm. that when you get to your internship, you've got that person who doesn't ask or doesn't offer themselves to help people who are maybe more busy. Um, and, you know, whenever they're busy or whenever they, their workload increases and um, they expect to be helped, you know? So I think it's, it's, it's hard to pinpoint and say that it, it starts as a student and continues because I think everyone sort of hits that, that little level jump, you know, as soon as you pass, you hit that, that temporary feeling of I've actually made it, you know, and I think mm. there's, there's a there's space and there's room for that. But I think it needs to quickly be overcome by the sense of you are still trying to become better at what you're doing. You're still trying to become a better doctor. And just because you are dealing primarily with patients, it doesn't mean that your people skill or your general empathy should stop and end with your patients and should actually be you should actually be more empathetic towards your colleagues so it's tough to say where it starts and where it ends i think so now we've looked specifically at us training as doctors take the example of a forcer right now he's working in peds so he's going to be engaging with his fellow interns that are working in pediatrics. His consultants will be working with each other as pediatricians. But now I think it also becomes more difficult when you have, well, when you're supposed to be having collaboration between different departments. So now if you're having, let's say, the orthopods and the pediatricians having to communicate with each other, two different medical fields having to work together to find a common solution everyone thinking that their own discipline is more important than the other. That, again, when, you, when you're dealing, dealing with two specific medical fields, that's difficult enough. But now I pose this question to you specifically, Afosa. How does the relationship then change when you're working with a medical field, let's say, again, pediatrics, and then you're working with health and rehab, or you're working with the nursing team? Because then you are actually your colleagues who are on the same level. And I don't, I'm quite sure that a lot of doctors do feel this way, that they are higher than health and rehab and the nurses, even though you are working collaboratively and you're not actually in charge of them. How do you think that that relationship manifests? And does that not also lead to a toxic work environment between colleagues? I think, yeah, I think more often than not, 
it depends on the specific interactions, you know, because a lot of, as you, as you rightly said, a lot of doctors or do may feel that they are higher than the nurses or the health and rehab. And then that manifests in the way in interactions in terms of requests or how you speak to your fellow colleagues. And I think that's quite a problem because if, if you have the mindset of we're all working together for the patient and we all have an important role to play for the patient, when I ask for something or when I, I another colleague asks for something, it's going to be in a way of like, like the, the, the dynamic of the request is like you speaking to an equal, like asking for, for, I don't know how to describe it. The dynamic will be different versus when you're like, it kind of, when it feels like you're ordering someone to do something. You know, mm. there's always a difference when you're like requesting, like, you know, nice, like nicely versus feeling like you're ordering. There's a difference in tone. There's a difference in volume. There's a difference in the how you say your words, you know. Mm. And I think that is that is important. That leads to feelings of resentment if you, if you, if you feel like you've been talked down to because it's a form of disrespect and nobody yep. likes to be disrespected. So in that case, then it also becomes there's sometimes maybe a a lag to doing whatever has been requested because there's some like level of like resentment building. And then that ultimately leads to patient management being affected. Yeah. So if there's tension within any relationship in a team, like, you know, working together, I think that's going to affect the outcomes greatly. Definitely. I think that's, you brought out something very, very important. And that is that nobody likes to be disrespected. No, there's no one in the world that likes to be disrespected. And that's what it comes down to. The, the crux of the matter here is that besides no one wanting to be disrespected, there's an issue with having high levels of toxicity in the workplace because it not, doesn't just affect people's feelings, but it has an effect on people as a whole both the patients and the colleagues that are that are involved. So is there anything that you guys like you've read up on that you know can like can lead to that toxicity can lead to? So I mean there's there's a bunch of stuff that we've obviously read up on and what it leads to. Um I think the fundamental thing or the basic thing is that what a toxic colleague or a toxic work environment in the end leads to is a poorly functioning system. Um, so, I mean, the question is going forward then is how do you deal with this poorly functioning system? You know, because that's, that's, I think, in the long and the short term, that's what's going to end up happening. If you've got different aspects or different members of a team that aren't all pulling in the same direction for whatever reason, the ultimate goal of the team is not going to be achieved. So then you ask yourself, how do you deal? You know, maybe if we, if we speak about personal experiences, I mean, how do you deal with this toxic person? What is, what is, your natural instinct, and I say your, I mean your Farai and your Efosa, because I'm sure we have different ways of dealing with things, but what are your natural instincts to dealing with toxic individuals who aren't pulling together in the same direction for the team? Mm. So I'll let Efosa go, and then I'll go after him. So in terms of dealing with it, I'm generally someone who, okay, initially I may just, you know, be like, ah, it's whatever, and like move on and try, like just do what I can like maybe ignore or avoid the situation. But ultimately, if something needs to be addressed, I can just be like, hey, like, can we just uh, talk about like this issue? Maybe like we can 
find a solution to the problem or just a, a mild, a gentle conversation, not trying to be too contra- confrontational or anything like that, but generally taking me a long time to maybe have that conversation. And if I can That's interrupt you, me. if I can interrupt you, your your success when you do have these conversations, does it affect to positive change, negative change? Does it change anything? For the most part, it has, you know, resulted in positive change. Sometimes there are, you know, individuals. I haven't, don't, I wouldn't say I have had any experiences currently, but maybe in med school, sometimes you just can't get through to someone or have them understand what you're trying to get through to them. Mm. So sometimes confrontation, not a confrontation or like trying to address, you know, something that's bothering you may not really result in anything really happening. Yeah, sure. I completely agree. Farai, you sound like you're saving something special for us. Lead us. So I've seen, I've had two separate situations. One where I was not involved and another where I was involved. So the one, I'm not going to say which is which. There's been a situation where there was a problem with the workings of a colleague. And what we tried to do was just to gently put it out into the, into the general group that we need to improve and do things in a proper manner and to try and lead, lead and do things in the correct manner so that we like set an example, not that we are perfect individuals, but just so that we are all working equal, like not equally, but we're all working to help each other and to like do the best we can. And I think for the, so the, the individual that we're having the problem with didn't really catch on. Then I've also seen a situation where there was a problem with colleagues and it was brought up, but it was kind of, it was, we ever knew who was being discussed when this problem was being, like when this problem was brought up and that also didn't work out well. So in in terms of the second case where this was brought up and the the individuals knew they were being spoken about, I think it built up a lot of resentment because they were embarrassed in that situation, understandably so. Yeah. In the first case, although the general approach was good, but when it didn't work, what should have been done is that after the trying to lead by example, the person should have been addressed directly just like in the other example as well. The problem comes in is that how do you address people in a manner that they don't feel offended? It's something that I personally, I'm not good at. And I know that I myself, I'm also not, it's like to to criticize someone in a way where you're trying to not harm them is a very delicate skill. And I don't know how many people have mastered that. So yeah, I'm very uncomfortable in this sort of situation. I don't know, um, yeah, what do what you guys think about that? Because it's definitely something that I think we, we can make assumptions about lots of things. And this in all of these situations, I think that there are a lot of assumptions. Sometimes someone is just downright lazy, but there are sometimes there may be things that are underlying that no one knows about. And even if the person is lazy and you don't bring it up in the manner that allows for improvement, it can just ruin work relationships yeah so i hear you um strong points very strong points if i had to sort of add my two cents this is sort of like mixing what we've been um sort of doing the background reading about um so 
I know, and it's a disclaimer. This is a personal disclaimer, and it's it's about me, and we all have um, things that we need to work on in and about ourselves. And yeah, so it's a personal disclaimer. I think, in my opinion, at times my ego is too big to want to engage with other egos. Okay, I don't think. Mm. I admit that my ego is at times too <laughs> big to want to engage with other egos. And yeah. what this leads to is very often making yes or no black and white decisions. So I say this in a sense, um, and I think it's the most common um, example that we could all relate to is ward work, for example. You know, And you can't ever say that one person will have more ward work than the next person. It, it has so many variants. It has who was on intake, how many patients were seen on that intake, what the previous internship group maybe did before or what you did last week and saved for this week. You know, so it has a lot of inputs, lots of variables. So in my toxic self, if I can put it at that, is that I've tended not to speak to people, not to sort of find out from people you know, why I haven't been helped or why the next person hasn't been helped. But instead, I've sort of drawn up a list of people who I know would help me if I needed it um, and people who wouldn't. And then obviously, the people who are on the list that would help me if I needed help are those people who I would then in turn help if they needed help, you know, or who I would check up on, not necessarily wait for them to ask, but, you know, just send off that text before I'm planning to leave and be like, yo, do you need help or or you know, help with anything that you still got left over or you're done with your work for the day, that kind of thing. So I admit that that's my own personal toxic trait. But I must say that in reading how we are supposed to be coming to sort of conflict resolutions and dealing with individuals, one of the points that was that that was emphasized is sort of, and I guess it also speaks to Farai, your point of how do you address this person without, you know, souring feelings and coming from a place of being genuine. Think. In a lot of departments that we've worked with, it's been sort of mentioned that you can take the take the um, emotion out of it by going to a senior and addressing the issues with the senior. And then the, the, a lot of the in, in the departments where this has been encouraged, the seniors have then said, we will take the one person's opinion and then we'll go and sort of find the counter and find what the opinion is from the other person. And then, you know, they'll weigh the two options and come to a sort of amicable, amicable um, solution. My issue personally is the as the sort of two times that we've had to come to a senior or go to a senior to try and resolve an issue is that the person who we've gone to, who is the only person who we can go to because they've identified themselves as the person responsible, um, have been sort of nonchalant about the the repercussion or the 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 solution they are. Mm-hmm. So I mean, in one instance, there was a there was a, an individual who showed up to work but didn't do anything. This is on a weekend now. So obviously weekends are quite specific. You have your work delegated. You sort of generally know who's coming in to do what on a weekend because everyone wants to get out of there as soon as possible. So, I mean, this person came to work and didn't do the work that was allocated to them and then left because they assumed that there was nothing for them to do. And when this was brought up to, when this was brought up to um, the seniors and in fact, the HOD, the, there was no solution. The HOD was basically saying, yes, that's not right. Something should happen. Good luck and sort it out amongst yourselves. <laughs> you know, yes. It is, uh, let me not, uh, yeah, I'd rather not mm, discuss that. Yeah. As well. But I mean, you, you get what I'm going to. I mean, the other instance yeah. is, is quite recent in that, and this I can probably give a bit more names because 
it doesn't it's we, we don't know the culprit per se but i mean it's the age-old story of people doing weekend rounds and not doing their drips you know and then leaving their drips, for oh, the drips. Call, you know i mean yeah i think everybody in every group that goes through specifically internal medicine always has this problem that people come yes. in make and notes for their you. patients yeah i mean it's, it's terrible i've had i've had individuals in our group who spent two to three hours doing drips during their core when they should actually be resting because you genuinely don't know what is going to come at you. And when this, this specific issue was raised, you know, the, the response from the, the, the senior colleague was, yeah, guys, that's not on. You can't be doing that. Everybody have a nice day. You know? So I, I mm. don't know. So I, 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 I guess they, they yeah. are, and I agree with my, with my, and, and I accept that my, my ego allows me to, not come to proper solutions but when you go to people who are supposed to be able to remedy these things or take charge in some way very often you're not met um with with proper solutions it's like no one took that leadership course that was being offered you know so because no one took it we're all suffering with each other rant over so what you say nick and i think this is the problem is that these things just cause an enormous amount of bitterness, this toxicity. Exactly. And this is, this is what I think, like when I was bringing up the problem with toxicity, there's many different problems, at least to patient errors, because communication just falls through, falls through the cracks, because now these people that do these sort of things, you kind of, you don't want to like engage with them properly. So even if there's important things to be done, you just don't want to like speak properly and you'll give like, off instructions or they'll give you off instructions or you just don't take each other seriously exactly it causes tightness now you're saying that on call you end up doing drips for days or whatever now you're tired the next day you're tired because now they're also not helping you and that angry to you're angry yeah it just leads to so like a... absenteeism burnout now your patients as well, you're not taking the proper time to examine them or to care about what they're actually complaining about because you're just trying to get everything over with. So there's patient dissatisfaction. You eventually just want to leave the place. So whether this is at the hospital that you're currently working at or with some clinic, but now you're just like, I just need to get out of this environment. And people that follow if this culture continues also feel the same way. So there's high, turn, high staff turnover and many different different problems. That's, I think that's the important thing about finding a way to deal with this toxicity in a constructive yeah. way. Because there's no, there's, you can go hard and rough about dealing with it. You can go soft and cuddly, but both ways, there's, it, you don't really get to the answer unless you have a specific methodical way of doing it. We'll give exo- specific examples or guidelines of this, but I'll just give you a non-medical um, example is that you know in general when you look at friends friends have problems all the time like friends go through the most about like everything I had friends who had a problem I'm not going to speak about the specific problem but funny enough one of my friends actually went and looked at conflict resolution went and like looked at all this research basically used me as a mediator and went through guidelines of why is why is this conflict arising what can we do one person's side compared to the other side? And basically at the end of it, everyone was satisfied with the outcome because it was it was coming with a specific methodical approach with in general, whenever there's a problem, everyone kind of looks at their own way of dealing with things based on their own life. 
and it might help in the time being but moving forward it might not be the best thing to do and we had yeah. this discussion yesterday we were talking about the different approaches and it actually got quite heated but we have our different ways of doing it and it's it's all based on our own personalities and our own experiences yeah which can or cannot work but sometimes you need to find a specific way of doing doing things so that everyone is satisfied and not just the person who's come out on sure yeah yeah you definitely have to find that that middle ground where you try and i mean if not satisfy everyone you try to satisfy as many of the people you know i guess majority majority ruling and all of that yeah i like what you, what you said there farai because i think it's very important to tr- kind of have an approach and not just try and do things you know willy-nilly because i think there's been evidence-based practices and i'm guessing what why certain guidelines are the guidelines is because they've been proven to work the best in most situations. So in a sense, and I think what we were alluded to earlier was everybody wants to be, everybody wants to be respected. So even when approaching somebody to resolve a conflict, you'd want that all parties involved feel respected, feel like it's a safe place to be able to say what they want to say and be heard and i think that's the most important thing because a lot of the times it's maybe there's a misunderstanding or miscommunication or someone just isn't heard and then like that leads to resentment bitterness and a vicious cycle so even when like approaching somebody with hey like i don't like how you did this maybe come with the thing of don't already come there with a conclusion of this is what you did and this is why it was wrong even if it was like very clear cut maybe try approach in a sense of this is what i understand happened and this is how it made me feel or this is my point of view and then ask there from their side like what like what was there what was the situation or the incident from their point of view and i think having a mediator is also quite important someone who's neutral and not may not be fueled by their emotions i think that's quite an important thing to also applying. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. So maybe to bring the listeners into a bit of our reading, um, or a bit of our, our behind the scenes effort, I'm going to be quoting uh, an article by Harvard, the Harvard Business Review. It's called Four Ways to Deal with a Toxic Coworker by Abby Kurnow-Chavez. Sorry for butchering your surname. Um, so the four, I'm just going to sort of give off the four main top, the four main ways to deal with this conflict. Just let me find it for you one of the first of the four steps or not necessarily it's not like an order to it but the four steps are have an honest candid conversation with the person so the sort of tidbit under that is if you don't attempt to do this you're 100% ensuring the relationship will at best continue in its current dysfunctional state which is true i think farai alluded to it is that it's tough to have these honest conversations um, and in and the challenge of having these conversations is trying to not offend anybody. The second point is raising your own game and keeping your ego in check, which is, I think, something that will resonate with me because it's quite difficult to not stoop to someone's level to try and maintain your humanity while, you know, dealing with your own emotions and upsetness with the current situations. The third point is something I obviously don't believe in anymore, which says talk to your boss. And the final point is just quite interesting is 
take care of yourself, which is don't let this toxic behavior damage your emotional and physical health, which I can imagine is nearly impossible for some people. Don't you think? Yeah, I think, and I think that's also the thing with to- uh, toxic environments. It may weigh you down to a point where you feel like the only option is to actually just leave it. And sometimes that might be a sad situation if you're in a place where you really think it might be a good opportunity, but maybe the environment just isn't healthy enough for you to, you know, you know, take care of yourself and to move forward and be motivated to work. Also, just on the point of what you said earlier, Nick, about just using your example of you have a set of people who you know will will help you if you had to ask for their help and you'll be willing to help them if they need it. And then there's obviously, I'm guessing there's people who wouldn't. Absolutely. But I'm just trying to think now, like, what would could be done to change, like, the culture, you know? And that's also the, always the most difficult thing, the culture of, like, cultivating a culture of helping. And I think even if, you know, there's going to be those people who, and I think that's always the sad thing. There'll be always those people who, even if they're not, gonna, they're not getting help, maybe they're just that great of a person that they'll still help others, even though those others haven't helped them ever. Yep. And that that generally gets taken advantage of and i think that's also the problem but if you just continue to try generate a culture you know i think that's also something that and sometimes generating a culture may mean some people may take more of a hit than others in in pursuit of generating that culture but unfortunately a culture can only be generated if everyone is buying into it which really happens or not really but sometimes doesn't happen. And then you have people burnt out and some people living their best lives all in the same group. Like you said, of course, there are always going to be those people that just don't want to help. But I think equally, there's also sometimes we don't realize that there are also people out there that are willing to help, but it starts at actually just asking for help. And it's something in medicine and degrees like that, our type of personalities is, where we don't want to ask for help. We want to like be strong and not be seen as someone who needs help from their colleagues. But we also need to be willing to put ourselves in the position where we can say, actually, I need help. Can someone come and help me? And if people don't help, then so be it. But you also need to be able to put ourselves out there and say, guys, I'm struggling. Please, can you help me? And then I think more often than not, not 100%, but more often than not, people will be willing to help. And those that don't want to help, then that's up to them. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I, I really like that point for is, is sort of demolishing that culture of, of not asking for help. You know, we need to sort of get around that. And I think what goes hand in hand in that is something that I, I tried to practice as, as well, is having that culture of asking for help. But if and when help arrives and you realize that, okay, actually things are under control, you know, you also yes. build a you build a rapport by telling the people who have come to help, listen, guys, thanks for coming. Things should actually be fine from now. I can take it from here. Or sort of the taking that responsibility of even though you've asked for help, it doesn't mean that people are now here to do your work. You know, we're here yes. to do that as a fundamentalist to help. You know, and I think it really goes a long way in building a team spirit and a sort of team camaraderie and a better team ethos if you know. You you know that if I if this guy is asking for help, number one, he really needs it. So like I mean, if 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 Fossa is asking for us for, uh, for, uh, for help from us, then we know he really needs the help. You know, 
and then also acknowledging that Efosa will also tell us, nah, I'm good, guys, thank you. Um, you've helped enough. I'll finish up. Thank you for that. You know, so I think it's 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 a culture thing that definitely needs to be addressed and you know cultivated. Definitely. Um, Nick, I think this is specifically for you. Do you know who Cat Core is by any chance? Who Cat Core, if I'm not mistaken, she is she not the person who I just quoted discussing her? No, it's definitely not. Cancel. I don't know who she is or he or she is. Wait, no, <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> no, no, no. Enlighten me for I. It's like cuddle thing. It's not, it's not embarrass <laughs> me in front of the listeners. Basically, Cat Core is the president or CEO of Cinnabon. And why Sounds I bring tasty. up her. Yes, very tasty indeed. Um, why I bring her up specifically in the context of this discussion is because she had quite a tough upbringing. Basically, she was she had to raise her siblings by herself as a teenager. She was working odd jobs by the time she was 16. She had ambitions of becoming a lawyer, but she obviously had to balance that out between, between also working to support her siblings. So she went and she was hired by Hooters, working there as a 19-year-old. So she was balancing her time between her studies and working at Hooters, but Hooters obviously took a lot of her time. It was quite common that she'd actually pick up shifts for other people. Eventually, she actually ended up dropping out from university because she couldn't keep up with her studies and Hooters. There was a point where Hooters had lost the shift, so she took over the role of being a chef or cook. Then there was a point where the manager left, and she now was part-time manager at the age of 19. She was really in the habit of helping other people and it was to her detriment because now she lost out and her dream of becoming a lawyer was kind of in tatters. But what this ended up giving her the opportunity to do was to gain a lot of experience, both as a chef and running schedules. She so much so that even at such a young age, she was being sent to Australia as well as Latin America to open up their Hooters franchise there. She eventually moved through the ranks and climbed up the corporate ladder. And like I said, now she is the CEO of Cinnabon. And basically that what this illustrates is that sometimes, and I'll, we'll put up the link to this article where they discuss, is that although helping others in the short term can be to your detriment, hopefully it doesn't push you over the edge and lead to burnout, but there are benefits that can like, help you in the long term. So don't always see it as a negative, even if you're not getting that reciprocity. Yeah. Did I say that right? Yeah. So yeah, don't always just think about what the other person is going to do for you in return. Just focus on helping them and then leave it from there. If they help you, they help you. If they don't, they don't. But also in moderation, don't overdo it. Oh, what a story. Yeah, that's quite interesting. Yeah. I, think, um, I think the fundamental of this discussion is that I, I think it takes to solve these problems takes a little bit of humanity or a little bit a little bit extra humanity and to not be offended by someone coming to you to try and solve these problems takes a, a whole lot of self introspection and you know looking back and thinking to yourself i'm the person who's always asking for help but i never go to help anyone yes and i also think um it's important to be try and be more self aware Sometimes you may feel like Ish, this this person is so annoying or this person doesn't do this or this person doesn't do this or this colleague is so toxic. But then also like, what about like me? Like I could also be toxic and I may not even know it. 
until someone yeah. maybe has that conversation. So I think it's also important that yeah. these conversations are had that like if someone is exhibiting toxic behavior as a colleague or as a coworker, that people are brave enough to have that conversation and be like, hey, but in a very respectful manner, like, you know, safe space where you can pr- truly deal with the issue and move forward. Because, I mean, there's no point in bringing something up and then, like, at the end of the conversation, people are just angry, more frustrated. But, like, you want to have a solution and you want to have a resolution or a way of moving forward and bettering the work environment. Conversations must be had. And you must also be willing to be the person who is approached and say, be like, hey, I don't like how you did this thing or you do this. This is how it affects us as the team. Please, yeah. can we move forward? Like, you must be also open to the criticism that may come your way. I think that's also important. So I think what, what we'll do, we have started to speak about it in this episode, but in our third episode of this, I know we keep doing series, but in the third episode of this series, along with other suggestions, we would also like, we would also put some ways of possibly handling these workplace disputes in a way that allows for people to move forward progressively and try to avoid anger, embarrassment, and so forth. For now, I think we've, we've spoken quite a lot. We've had quite a fruitful discussion on this. And I'm sure everyone has their own personal examples, success stories, fails that they've all been through. We'd like to hear about them all because I'm sure there's a lot that we can learn from. Definitely, there's a, when I think about it in my head, there's a lot of examples of whether it's classes or different hospital groups in terms where I think that they work really well together and their working dynamic triumphs over different barriers such as race, culture, you name it. And especially that I'd like to hear about how people find that their workplace um, environment is, when you say atoxic, was not toxic so that we can try to implement it as well and why it is possible. Is there anything else you guys want to mention? No, I think you've, you've rounded, you and FOSA have rounded us off very beautifully there. Do better, guys. <laughs> Thank you very much, Nicholas. Um, FOSA, your side? Yeah, nothing much else to say, hey? Yeah, let's just all work together, survive this doctor life together. So that wraps up another episode of 15-Minute Medicine, where we try to make medicine as simple as possible. Like we said, please leave any comments, suggestions. Please share our episode far and wide. You can catch this episode, if you're already listening to it, but our other episodes on SoundCloud, Apple iTunes. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Thanks for listening. Please continue listening, and we'll see you, or you'll be hearing from us in our next episode. Bye.